Barry, this is my sexy Barry White voice. Not my sexy Barry Rose voice, but Barry. Barry, did you like Barry White? I did like Barry White. I, it, he had that. Uh, it was the voice. That's why I liked yeah, Barry it's White. It's always something to yeah. put uh, put in the background when you're trying to do a little romantic time with your lady. Maybe eat a little pasta, if it were. So here on episode 226, Barry, oh, we are going to the venerable Tokyo Dome. We are talking Mitsuharu Misawa versus Vader. Doing May 2nd, 1999. Barry, it is the, the tribute show to the giant Baba who had recently uh, passed away before that. Besides that, Barry, we are going to offer to our listeners, because we are what, Barry? If nothing else, we are givers. We are offering to you an elongated, I think that's the first time we've ever used the word elongated, Barry, Florida man or not segment. I think we have something like seven or eight Florida man or not stories. I am really putting Barry Rose, uh, giving him the screws, putting him to the nails, whatever the expression is, going to see if he can guess these, see how he's going to do. Besides that, Barry, we are also offering, I don't know if it's a top 10 list, maybe top 12, most bizarre deaths in rock history. We've got some pretty strange ones, Barry. You about ready to go? I am ready. This sounds like an action-packed episode. I'm absolutely Aren't so, yeah. they all at this point? I think there are. How many episodes now, Jeff? 226. Wow. That's a lot of fucking episodes. That's you a know? lot of fucking episodes. You're it's right. It's just good to know that there are people out there that appreciate all our hard work and efforts showing up every single week, and they make it a point to make our show a priority. <clears throat> oh, did I say that? Anyway, Barry, what do you say we talk about our match of the week? Barry, match of the week. We're going again, as I said, May 2nd, 1999. Oh, Barry, the venerable Tokyo Dome, the Egg Dome, if you will. And... Here's what made this particular uh, card and this match a little bit special. This was the ceremony after the death of the giant Baba. And we had as the main event, Mitsuharu Misawa taking on Vader. Barry, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, so I think coincidence or not, uh, if I'm correct, is today... The day that we're recording is the yes. actual birth date of, of Baba? I believe it is, yes. Oh, what are the odds of that? That I mean, we've we have discussed Baba. one of the probably two or three greatest promoters of all time. We have Baba. We always say Paul Bosch, Baba, Sam Munchnik, right? These are the yeah. guys that nobody really will say a negative word about, guys that were honest and fair. So uh, let's talk about this match, though. This was uh, a great match, first off. Having Lord James Blears do the introductions... Because as I'm watching this match, and I, I think I had, you know, I was eating lunch or doing something, but the second Lord James Blears comes on to do the introductions, I stop eating. I'm like, who the hell is that? And I start paying attention. I Clearly, the wrestling world doesn't have enough Lord James Blears types currently. That's, you know. Well, they, we call you his lordship, uh, Barry you, Rose. And I'm so nowhere near his here. level, but I'm yeah, nowhere exactly. near. I'll be the first one to tell you. It's guys like, th- this is what it is, too. It's guys like, and everybody always said Nick Bockwinkle, the personification of class, right? Beverly Hills, California. Yeah, Beverly Hills. And I think it's taken on a uh, a life of its own. It's it's while there's a lot of truth to it, a lot of people will say, you know, classiest guy ever. And it's meant in jest. But guys truly in professional wrestling, guys like Lord James Blears and Nick Bockwinkle, they don't exist any longer. Right now, you've got guys who dress nice. You've got guys who wear suits. But it, there's this phony type of it's not even phony, this arrogance 
it, it just, you know, and I know Bockwinkle had it, but you could always see through Bockwinkle's arrogance, right? And of course, if you ever met him, as everybody will tell you, wonderful human being, great guy. And Lord James Blears, too, there's something very special when he's doing these introductions. And then he finishes it and he says, uh, Domo arigato. But then he says a whole, and I think he was fluent in Japanese, if I'm correct. He says a whole nother phrase that I have no idea what he said, but it, what I liked about it, it lends this true importance to the match. Like there's just something special in having Blears there and doing this. This is a, first off, this is a great match. There is a power bomb outside the ring. And I got to tell you, uh, Vader power bombs Masao. And I love this spot. And what I loved about it, I think it's about a two to three minute spot. Masawa will not be power bound. He goes to the floor. He, he won't allow himself to get picked up and slammed on the concrete, though there is a mat there. And Vader finally, after multiple attempts and beatdowns, is able to get him up. And when Vader power bombs somebody, unlike some guys, uh, some guys it's a softer landing. Vader fucking looked like he was just trying to drill him right into the concrete, right? And, you know, let's be honest. I don't honest. think anyone ever accused Vader of having a soft touch. Uh, <laughs> no. King of potatoes, apparently, yes. Jeff. Yes. And, and I, there are a lot of resentment based off of that as well, that guys who did, you could get on Facebook and uh, anytime there's a Vader, somebody who worked with him will get on there and say he was a real dick. He loved beating up guys. He loved beating up job guys. Uh, a real dick in Japan. It is a different story as well. In Japan guys are going to fight back. And while Masawa is physically nowhere near as imposing as Vader was Masawa brings it to Vader. And some of that shit looks super, super stiff. So, you know, it, it, watching this match, very good in my opinion too. And I think you're going to take the ball and run with this in just a moment. And we'll discuss Vader in the U S but because you discussed this with me off air, you should obviously discuss it on air. But even in Japan, there were some matches where I didn't I didn't love Vader. I, I, I was never the hugest Vader fan to begin with. But uh, I will tell you, I think this is one of his best matches that he ever had in all Japan. And uh, a lot of it is Misawa doing a great job. You know, he's fighting underneath Vader. Vader is in control most of this match. And then Vader takes some of these huge bumps the german suplexes here as well and i you know i watched uh, the royal rumble this past saturday jeff i'm sure you missed the royal rumble first you're off a, you're a better man than i <laughs> well i should say i watched the final three or four matches of the night uh one of those being uh the royal rumble one of those being the bobby lashley match which hey congratulations i'm a huge bobby lashley fan but that was the you know it was basically suplex after suplex it was lashley Versus Lesnar. Lesnar is known for Suplex City. With that, nobody can hold a candle to what was taking place here between Vader and Misawa with some of the German suplexes. And Misawa's German suplexes on Vader. So just, you know, what was Misawa legit? 225, maybe? Um, yeah. You could yeah. say. If, right. if, if, if that, yeah. Right. Exactly. Vader, 320, 325, maybe, right? Big guy. Masao is doing these fucking German suplexes on Vader, and you're going, oh, my God, this is just absolutely incredible. And I realize, look, what the WWE does, it's not, it's not even wrestling any longer, right? It's entertainment, so I get it. But you want to see German suplexes. You want to, you want to go to Suplex City? Watch this match, Jeff. I, I really enjoyed it. Great ending, by the way. And what I liked about this ending, 
and I'll let Jeff talk about the actual ending of the match, was that there were uh, three attempts at, at winning from the winner, right, on the, on the loser. And it finally comes down to what essentially is a forearm smash, right? Yes. And he yeah, gets- the, the finish was kind of, I don't want to say it was out of nowhere, but uh, it wasn't. So, right? you know, it, one of the things that, that you and I talked about uh, so much is that now, uh, and especially I'll refer to the AEW stuff because that's what I primarily watch is, you know, and also I'll say well, like with New Japan too, when I was watching that more uh, on a more uh, steady basis, is if someone has a finishing move established, they can't win the match unless they they hit the finishing move. You know, nobody does a roll up anymore. Nobody, you know, does right. a inside cradle something like that. It, you know, you have to hit the signature big move. So that's when the crowd knows. Okay, this is where the the finish is going. Uh, you know, now of course I will also say just to counter my own argument, when they do the spot where the big move is hit and the opponent kicks out at like two and seven eighths, that can be very effective when it's used that way. But, you know, again, my complaint, um, I'll tell you what really impressed me about this match. Uh, and Barry was right. You know, Barry and I obviously both big Masawa fans. We've talked about that in the past, but Vader is the guy again, yeah. uh, that really kind of leapt out at me here in this match. The guy, whether he's 325, 350, 375, whatever, he does a fucking moonsault, Barry. And I was like, yes. good Lord, what the hell is that about? You know, I mean, yes, it's amazing when somebody who's the age of Terry Funk does a moonsault or, or the great Muda. But when someone who's that large does a moonsault, it's just like, I can't even imagine being like his opponent and seeing that large a man, that large a human being coming down, you know, from, from that height on top of you and have to just basically sit there and, okay, let me take the move. Or, you know, or whether you move out of the way, just the the concept of that guy hitting you with a moonsault <clears throat> just has to be extremely scary. So he was the guy that really impressed me. Again, not to say that Masawa didn't. Uh, great match, as Barry said. Masawa wins it. He gets the triple crown, uh, which is the combination of all three of their major belts. Let's talk about a couple of other things. Masawa does a very uh, apparently emotional speech at the end of the, sh- uh, end of the match, uh, which is the end of the show. Uh, where he basically, uh, and I'm referencing uh, something uh, that is in Chris Charlton's book, uh, where he talks about the history of the matches at the Tokyo Dome. I believe it's called Eggshells uh, or something like that. And he referenced that what Masawa says is that, you know, even though he's gone, uh, in my mind, Baba will always be the boss and he will always be our leader. Uh, And what's interesting about him saying that is, And in many ways, this card was really the beginning of the end of All Japan because it was not too terribly long. I mean, it's not like it was the month after this, but really after the death of Baba was the end of All Japan uh, in a lot of ways because what happened was Masawa, uh, after having, from what I understand, there were some personality issues. That's a nice way of putting it with uh, (laughs) Mrs. Baba, uh, Motoko Baba. Yeah. Who, uh, who apparently could be a bit of a handful when she wanted to be. Uh, she was basically a giant Baba's uh, hatchet man. Uh, you know, like whenever there was bad news that had to be uh, delivered to one of the boys, Baba always sent, his, always sent his wife to do the dirty work, which is actually pretty amusing. So Masawa and Matoko Baba begin having disagreements about the direction of the company, uh, you know, yada, yada. And eventually 
Masawa splits off and uh, with some other people, he forms Pro Wrestling Noah. Uh, and uh, I believe the only guy that really that Masawa had wanted to go with him to Pro Wrestling Noah that did not go was Kawada. Kawada stayed with All Japan. And, you know, by this point, you had begun to see uh, more cooperation between uh, All Japan, New Japan, and different groups. Uh, you know, and um, as I'm reading this book uh, that I referenced, uh, there's a lot of cards. You have to understand, in the like in the 80s, uh, uh, there was almost never cooperation between groups, even for like big mega cards. Uh, you know, uh, Inoki would bring in like uh, kickboxers or uh, Olympic wrestlers, but he wasn't doing cards with Baba. They were very exclusive. Uh, the promotions did not intermingle. But uh, as I want to say, yeah, maybe like mid to late 90s, I believe, there was more like when they would do a big show at the Egg Dome, there were uh, cards where you would see like uh, a match with All Japan, and then it would be followed by a match with New Japan, and then there would be an All Japan card. And then maybe they'd have an FMW guy uh, wrestling on the show. Right. And so, so there was a, a real change coming to the landscape of Japanese wrestling. Uh, now, let's talk a little about Vader. Uh, Vader, as Barry and I were uh, were talking the other day, I said, you know, I said, as big a deal as Vader was in Japan, and I will say, Vader in Japan was a really huge deal. Yes. Okay. Vader did not really, even though he was WCW champion, and, of course, he had the match with Flair, which is a great match. Uh, yeah, maybe we should uh, review that match one day, Barry, uh, the match with him and Flair. But... I don't know that Vader ever really became as big a deal in the United States as he was in Japan. Would you think that'd be fair to say, Bear? It's a tough... Well, yeah, it it is accurate. All I would say is he got a great push in WCW. He was the champion a couple of times. Certainly, this did not happen in the WWE. That, That I would agree. But from a national standpoint... Here's the thing about Vader, and I remember uh, our old friend Alex Marvez telling me about Who? this. Who? You, do you remember this guy, Alex Marvez? I, uh, yeah, the name sounds vaguely familiar. AEWX.com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke that I know, Jeff, that I'm getting. But So Marvez telling me about Vader. He was a huge Vader fan at the time, and, and Vader was a national celebrity in Japan. Much like, let's say, Hulk Hogan was here. The Rock, obviously, but The Rock at a different level now above everybody. But Vader could walk down the streets of Japan and he'd get mobbed. And we know that wrestling's always culturally been viewed much differently in Japan. But I I would say he was a bigger star because he was also more appreciated with the style that he has. Super stiff, willing to lay it out, beats the shit out of people, but he can take abuse. You've seen that that match against Stan Hansen where his fucking pops out. Yeah. you know, that doesn't happen in the U.S. too often, right? So long-winded answer to a very short question that you asked. Yes, he was a much bigger star in Japan. So, and what I was saying was, think about the landscape of the WWE in the mid-90s, okay? Yep. And uh, <clears throat> let's talk about guys like um, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and you begin to get, as you go towards the end or the latter part of the decade, that's when uh, Stone Cold begins his rise. Uh, and who else am I thinking? Uh, no, 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 I want to say The Rock, not quite yet, because he was really towards the end of the decades when he really broke out uh, as a huge, huge star. So let's just say those three guys. Now, of those three guys, Brett, Sean, and Austin, 
the guy that I think would have done the best as far as having matches that would have been unbelievable. First of all, all three of them would have had great matches with Vader. I think Shawn Michaels would have made a really compelling opponent for Vader, except well known that Shawn Michaels did not like guys working, you know, super, super solid with him. So that would have been a, a huge problem. I do understand that. But yes, if Vince could have convinced Sean, hey, look, you're going to go in there and you're going to work against this guy who's a monster. You're going to uh, end up taking a lot of shit from him. But ultimately, you're going to win out over the guy and it's going to make you a fucking megastar. If he could have somehow convinced Shawn Michaels to do that, I think it would have been a huge deal. Now, as I said, uh, Brett would have been, uh, because Brett, I think, more understood the psychology of working stiff, uh, because that's basically what he was brought up on. I think Brett would have gone with it. I, I don't know that that Brett would have become a bigger deal uh, from it. And uh, Austin, I don't know, because the, the opponent had been, or the, uh, the character had been established as such a kick-ass character. I don't know whether or not having someone really get in that much offense on, on Stone Cold would have uh, somehow devalued the Stone Cold character. I don't know. So tell me, Barry, what do you think of those three choices? I like them all. Here, here was the issue. Vader in the WWE, I, in my opinion, it wasn't going to happen. They're, they're just it, guys were there to make money. It was supposed to be, and I don't, I'm not saying it was, but supposed to be a safer work environment in some ways. And then you've got this legit Brahma bull, right? Coming in and just fucking destroying guys. Shawn Michaels, who also had a, uh, and may still have a reputation as a guy that was deeply always going to protect himself at any cost, selfishly protect himself, not just his spot in his position, but his body as well. There's no way he's going to, what do you, and I don't, were you even watching the WWE or WWF when Vader was there? And if so, what's, because I only remember one thing about Vader in the WWF. Did, were you watching it all when he was there? Uh, you know, honestly, I was, at the time, I was watching the WWE. I wasn't watching it as regular as I was when the whole Steve Austin thing kind of exploded. Uh, so he was, and, and well, the reason I asked was I, for what, and I think I was watching, so I don't remember, but all I remember about Vader was uh, the time he destroyed Gorilla Monsoon on television. And it was, uh, and, and granted, you know, Gorilla at this stage was an older guy, right? I, and I want to say he passed just a few years after this, but Vader shows up on TV. I think Gorilla, he might have, I don't remember the circumstances, Gorilla, he might have been uh, destroying a job guy, and Gorilla steps in the ring to have a conversation. Invader decides to go after Gorilla, which is what I remember. I just, I don't think he was ever the right fit. And I just, I don't see it. WCW, I do think did a good job, but you want to see Japan. I think Vader's the guy. I, I just, the Federation to me, I just don't see it. His style, it just, it couldn't have worked to me. So what do you think? Uh, let's take people out of their particular eras that they wrestled. What do you think about a guy like Vader if he had been around in the time of Bruno or Bob Backlund? How effectively would Vince Sr. have used uh, him against one of those two guys? I like that scenario. I think that would have been a little different. And I think I think Vince Sr. had a tighter handle on the business in a lot of ways than Vince Jr. does. 
and I eventually, you know, I, I don't want to get on a Vince Jr. rant, but I think Senior was running a business and he had guys working for him that he could trust. It was a different world back then as well. I see Vader working with both of those guys. And I, I think that would have made a lot more sense. That's what I see. From yeah. Me. And let me just, uh, before anyone misunderstood the point I was making about Vader potentially being an opponent for Shawn Michaels, I get that Shawn Michaels was a pretty much a chronic complainer. If anyone uh, did anything that he viewed as being slightly, uh, not even stiff, but a little bit on the harsh side. So, you know, this was going to involve a really huge talking point with Sean to try to get him to understand what he was doing. Uh, so I, I'm not saying this is like, hey, yeah, Sean, you're going to be working with Vader. What? What? You know, right. I understood there would be that whole argument. And I'm, I'm sure Sean wouldn't have gone for it. I was just speculating, you know, what what that scenario could have been if they could have talked Sean into it. And uh, I think that could have been very interesting. So, yeah, we will post a link to our match, uh, Mitsuhara Misawa versus Vader from the Tokyo Dome again on May 2nd, 1999 in our group breaking cafe by Barry. And, Barry. and uh, yeah, good times Bear. Yeah, it, it was good times for sure. And I, again, I, you know, with Vader too, and I, what I remember most about Vader's WCW run was obviously the, the legendary match with Ron Simmons, but also this was the whole cactus Jack with the ear being ripped oh, off yeah. in Germany. Yeah. yeah. So he was the right fit for WCW though. There were a lot of guys who got injured apparently that. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned yeah. cactus and absolutely yeah. cactus because cactus was willing to, uh, unlike comparatively speaking to Shawn Michaels, cactus would sit there and take, uh, un ungodly amounts of abuse from Vader. But think about it. That happened. What are we talking now, Barry? 29 years ago? At least, yeah. And it's something that is still talked about because of how, you know, whether it was how stiff Vader was or how amazing Cactus was at being able to take that much punishment, it's something uh, people still talk about. And uh, along with how many bad characters they had Cactus. Remember they had Cactus wearing a yacht, uh, yachtsman's cap, like where he was uh, Captain Cactus or Captain Mick or whatever. Remember that? How many stupid it, for all for all the shit WWE gets? How many stupid gimmicks did WCW come up with? You know, and I'm not even talking like legendary, like the Ding Dongs, right? Which has got to be right at the top of of that, or the Hunchback, and all this other shit. But even when you had guys like uh, Tommy Rich and and Ricky Morton, and it was like Lord Thomas Rich and, and Richard Morton, Richard Morton. And it just, it was so bizarre to me, but just, you know, what a waste, what a waste of Ricky Morton on every level too. <laughs> it, it just, there, there was so much there that you just scratch your head and go, what was that about? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Barry, I know that there's one thing that the good folks out there listening like, and that's a little Florida man or not. Oh, Barry, I've got quite a few for you today. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm going to give it a shot, Jeff. I've got to figure out because a lot of the stories that you've been presenting lately, whether they're from Florida or not, certainly fall into the scope of being Florida. But I've got to figure out your rhythm. I've got to figure out, is he going to give me a Florida story first? Will it be a dummy story for another state? That's what I've got to come into play with this. But your stories have been top notch the last few months. Got no rhythm, got no rhyme to my stories. Again, uh, again I will thank uh, our friends from the obtuse angles for giving me the uh, the heads up on these stories. Barry, headline reads, women allegedly calls in a bomb threat to boyfriend's work so that she could spend more time with him, Barry. Wow. 
Police say a woman allegedly called in a bomb threat to her boyfriend's workplace in an attempt to get him to spend more time with her. Kayla Blake was arrested and charged with felony count of terrorizing. Police say Blake had recently moved from Ohio and met her boyfriend on a dating app a week before the She knew the guy a week, Barry, and decided, my well, God, I sure. want to spend time with this guy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, according to police, uh, she uh, called in the state police and said she was going to place a bomb at the medical products company that her boyfriend worked at. She allegedly called again two hours later and told police she was going to place four pipe bombs. Wow. Uh, it, not to be confused with CM Punk's uh, pipe bombs, by the way, uh, at the same location. She told authorities her boyfriend works at the medical plant, which makes swabs for medical use. Barry, Florida, man, a Florida woman or not. So there's a lot of questions that have to be answered here. Was the it, it boyfriend, and this is, they, they've been dating for a week that they met through an app. So they're Probably getting ready to move in together, Barry. That happens, well, uh, that, you know. Yeah, you gotta you gotta slow that shit down, right? You can't just so I hear. <laughs> you can't jump in and start doing that right away. It doesn't especially but, if it's only been a couple of weeks or a couple of months. I don't know. Yeah, you gotta give it more time. You gotta take a little more time with that. You gotta so. convince people sometimes. <laughs> you, you, you gotta look at pros and cons. <laughs> well, if only people understood that joke. Go oh, ahead, Bear. Good that we're doing the show just for us at this stage, exactly. Jack. Exactly. We, you know, we've become oh, the two guys that uh, we used to know from the hardcore world yeah. and still have a podcast that five people yeah. listen to. Even Go Sweet ahead. Lou now, like, scratching his head going, what the fuck? <laughs> we'll explain about, it all right? later, Lou. Yeah. So she called in and said there were four pipe bombs. First off, this sounds like something that the FBI would handle, right? Like, so I'm assuming. Oh, you think. I'm assuming her Especially bail. When she doubles down on first exactly, the bomb threat. Right. Then right. four hours later, oh, by the way, there's also pipe bombs. I will say she really does appear to like this guy. If you're willing to go to Apparently, this place, you know, yeah, you'd want to make the move. I am going to say, though, that this is not Florida. Certainly it could have been, but th this, this almost seems a little... <laughs> This almost seems a little too sophisticated to be. <laughs> Are you accusing the good folks in the state of Florida yes. of being not sophisticated? Yes. Yes, I Frankie am. Frankie Seacrest, I don't know if he's talking to you specifically, yeah. but you yeah. know. anyway, but Barry, yeah. Etna, Maine. Where? Etna, Maine. Etna, I'm glad I met you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great freaking story though. Calling in the old bomb threat so you can spend more time with the new boyfriend. So, uh, Barry, next we go <laughs> see here as I pull up the story, a man angry over his neighbor's parking habits sprayed fire from a commercial flamethrower. Wow. Car with three teenagers inside. No one was hurt. The, uh, by the way, I forgot the headline man accused or man used flamethrowers to settle a parking dispute. Barry, that's always the best way to handle a situation involving your neighbors. Don't you think? That's what I would do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Andre Abrams is facing three counts of felony ag assault with a deadly weapon without intent. He didn't intend to kill. No, no. The, uh, the rest. Right. Of sure. Uh, he posted a bond waiting decision whether prosecutors will formally file a criminal charges. The mother of one of the teens said, that Abrams frequently sprayed the flamethrower to scare off guests at her home. So apparently this was not the first time this guy had been actively displaying the flamethrower, Barry, Florida man or not. Wow. So first off, uh, flamethrowers, 
Uh, I believe that these are legal for anyone to own, first off. Oh, of course. Which you right. Which just it seems like, and I don't I think know. they got them at Home Depot. I'm not sure, though. You might be right, actually. Go get a flamethrower. We can go make a lot of fucking trouble with a flamethrower. What what film had the greatest use of a flamethrower, in your opinion, Jeff? Uh, that's a, are, are we talking uh, military usage or non-military usage? I would say whatever you want. For me, it's non-military usage, but... Please clarify. Uh, <laughs> a movie came out about three years ago. It was a Tarantino film, and the flamethrower scene was one of the greatest scenes in history of film, in my opinion. Uh, Inglorious Bastards? No, I think there was in that one, too. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yes, of course. Okay, go ahead. Remember the ending? Yes, Go ahead. Oh, my God. So I just thought that was just absolutely incredible, the ending of that film. And it, while I like that movie, it, it's, a, you know, it's really long first off. But the last 15 minutes of that film and uh, the whole flamethrower scene in the swimming pool, just incredible. The, a flamethrower, a guy mad about parking. This is Florida, Jeff, right? This is Gainesville, Florida. There you go. There. Home of the Florida Gators. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wonder if he reached out to our old friend Chris Qualman about representing him. And does Bobby Van Kevlar know this guy? Probably, actually. Probably, Bobby probably does know him. You're trying to say Bobby Van Kevlar gets around. He gets around, yes. Okay. So, okay, Barry, our next story. These are some pretty juicy ones here. Prosecutors have charged a woman after she allegedly ran onto a football field naked in front of a group of eighth graders practicing football. She's in, uh, been charged with sexual misconduct involving a child under 15. She's accused of jumping over the football stadium fence and running onto the field in front of 29 eighth graders wearing, Barry, only a scarf. When the incident occurred, the students on the field were part of a youth program that is not affiliated with the high school. The team, this is very important, Barry, had permission to use the field. Apparently, she had not gotten permission. The woman told the officer she had reportedly ingested heroin <laughs> that like, you go, go figure, right? That yeah. left her residence, uh, then, I'm sorry, then left her residence naked and looked for help because she thought she was going to die. Barry, Florida woman or not. So By I, the way, it, wait till you see the booking photo. Go ahead. I was going to say, Jeff, I have to disqualify myself. I am aware of this story. Uh, and seen the booking photo. Holy fucking shit. Does anyone look like a heroin addict more than this woman? <laughs> Jefferson City, Missouri. Apparently, Barry, she took to heart the whole show me state thing. Oh. Because she decided to show the poor, the eighth graders now have been traumatized. Traumatized. The heroin addict run onto their field, oh. uh, ruining their uh, football practice, I'm sure. Ah, uh, Barry. You saw, you saw, so you saw the booking photo. Question oh, yeah. It's answered here. Take out the face, which is a mess. The neck tattoo is also, there's a neck tattoo, but the hair, yeah. what, explain the hair. I have uh, it's no it's a, kind of a, if Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons, like, straightened out his hair, that kind of, like, is what it looks like. It's it's a hot mess for sure. Yeah, oh, it's a hot mess. What a, what a booking photo. Those poor eighth graders, th those kids are. All these little eighth grade boys just in the, the throes of, you know, frequent masturbation and 
24 hour boners and then this woman comes along right yeah this woman will kill a boner in about two seconds left yeah that's true absolutely next story barry man peed off nightclub balcony hitting women below police say a 20 year old man was arrested early saturday after police say he peed off a nightclub balcony hitting two women sitting on a bench below little golden showers while you're at the old nightclub barry uh, the incident took place at about 12.30 a.m. at, uh, I'm not going to say the nightclub. Because uh, <laughs> I'll know it, right? One of the ladies was on, no, I'm not going to give away the storyline, uh, okay. uh, was on, I will tell you, this was not in Plymouth meeting PA, Barry. Okay, gotcha, all right. <laughs> That's a little hint. Was on the upper level balcony of the club overlooking the sidewalk when he stepped to the railing and started urinating on the sidewalk below. Two women sitting on the bench below were, quote, Struck in the face, mouth, head, hands, and arms. Well, this guy had quite the spray going, Barry. With the defendant's urine as they looked up. Of course, they looked up, which makes it even better, Barry. Florida man or not. Yeah, I got to say, looking up does make it even better. (laughs) I think first you want to run away, then turn and look back. Yeah, years ago, and I'll share this one. Oh, when, you've got a golden shower story, please. No, no, I wish. I wish I did because I would, but I can quickly make one up, Jeff. Give me enough time. But years ago when I was married and with my second child, the lovely Zoe, who will be 18 in just a few months, so I can't oh believe so many years, correct. My ex was holding Zoe up and I, above her head and talking to her. And Zoe is looking down at my wife and Zoe just decides to let loose, uh, uh, let loose a stream of vomit. And it hits my ex square on the face into her mouth. Oh, and, and of course, me being the sensitive husband, I'm in tears laughing, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you are nothing if not supportive, my support. And, and let's be honest. Is there a reason I'm not married any longer? There probably <laughs> is. Yeah, I would think so. But I got to tell you, it was fucking hysterical. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I the looking up part is great. Th- this is Florida. This sounds like almost a, and I'm sure it wasn't spring break, but it almost sounds like it's a spring break type of uh, college student story, peeing off balconies. Because we hear every year, spring break, students are, are falling off of balconies. Every year it happens, throwing shit off balconies urinating defecating masturbating off balconies lots of dating there uh oh absolutely um, (laughs) yeah i was trying to get some menstruating i don't know but you know i'm sure that's happening too this is absolutely florida this one i would say yes so before i uh give the uh the results uh, to your uh query about uh where this was from uh just want to ask after uh the sainted zoe had in fact projectile (laughs) vomited into your wife uh into her face and mouth region and you were, of course, were laughing, which would have caused, uh, of course, anger from the spousal unit. Yeah. But after she went in, cleaned herself up, uh, maybe, uh, uh, I'm hoping, washed the mouth out, brushed the teeth. How long afterwards before, <laughs> let's just say, uh, some uh, tongue kissing was involved with the, <laughs> that, uh, the at that time, easy for me to say, Mrs. Rose and you would have been uh, uh, consummated. Yeah, I think I think Mrs. Rose, after I laughed, wanted no part of me first off. So I, I think she and then, of course, for my side, I didn't really want to tongue kiss her. So I, I think it was a little while. Yes, yeah. I do think it was a little while. So in answer to your question, Barry, I have to say this is a split vote because while this occurred in Florida, okay. 
the guy was from Michigan. So, you know, I'm just saying. However, uh, it took place in St. Pete. Barry, do you, uh, are you familiar, since you go down there quite a bit, with the 2601st nightclub? No, which I'm assuming is probably 2601st Avenue in St. Yes. Pete. Would make sense. I am... I, Again, Jeff, I uh, I don't go to a lot of nightclubs these days. Well, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm so, not aware of it, but uh, it sounds like, you know, sounds like a happening place. I love St. Petersburg. Maybe I need yeah. to check it out next time. So I will tell you. Get a shot that, of piss in the face, right? Exactly. As you were talking about uh, the different uh, spring break activities, uh, I was reminded <laughs> many years ago, geez, uh, over a decade now, Barry, I can't believe it's been that long. My daughter, when she was in the high school marching band, uh, her band was like uh, na- a nationally known band uh, as far as competing at national events and all that kind of stuff. And so they were invited to go up uh, for the elections. You know, you know, they always have uh, the parades and stuff like that after the sure. election. I'm sorry, the inauguration. And so uh, they were going up for this. And my wife was one of the people I'm guessing she volunteered uh, to be part of the chaperoning of the kids. And stuff, and of course the the kids all. And so you're talking what, like uh, 150, 200 kids, something like that. And they're staying in a hotel. And, and guess what? Things went a tad askew. No. So yeah, I know it's it's hard to believe when you got five parents that have to monitor, you know, these kids. All right, you're responsible for those 50 kids. You're responsible for those 50 kids. So anyway, so while this is going on, one night, apparently. The hotel had mistakenly decided that they would let their windows be uh, the type that you could open. (laughs) So anyway, the kids, I want to say on the fourth or fifth floor, one of the uh, one of the kids decided it would be a really fun idea to defecate out the window. Okay, and I think besides that, he also had someone either filming it or taking photos of it. Yeah, it's always a good idea there, Junior. Yeah. And so uh, anyway. So the kids are up in Washington. And by the way, this, I think, might have been like a day or two before the inaugural parade. And so now, Barry, imagine, if you will, being the parent that gets this phone call. Yeah, we're going to need you to fly up to Washington. And you're going to need to come get your kid and bring them back on your own dime. Because, number one, they're not participating in the inaugural parade. And we're not we're not taking them back, okay? <laughs> How do you suppose that conversation went, Bear? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. How does that conversation? Oh go? man, yeah. I can't even imagine. You know, somebody. Oh, if they didn't get the uh, proverbial ass whooping, they probably deserved it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. All right, Barry. Our next story: the headlines. Police investigate claim dead man was taken to the post office. Uh oh, Barry. Police. Our investigator reports that the body of a dead man was brought to a post office in an attempt to collect his pension. Newspaper newspaper reports say that a man who appeared to be in his his 60s was dragged into a post office, propped up by two younger men. When questioned by staff, the two men fled, leaving the older man, who was, in quote, found to be dead. Very (laughs) Florida man or not. Uh... I'm going to, I mean, it has nothing to do with weekend at Bernie's, by the way, bear. Yeah. Yeah. 
which was when you stop and think about it, the most ridiculous premise for a film, maybe yes. in the history of films. And somehow like, they made so much money that they made a sequel. <laughs> a sequel made like a, a, a shit ton of money. We've got a dead body. The good news, even after a few days, he doesn't decompose. Yes. No uh, smell. No smell. Right. There's no flies or maggots. You could just bring him or you could throw him in the ocean. He's fine. Whatever it is. I'm going to say this one was not Florida. But again, I'm just going because the story previous was Florida. Carlo Ireland, Barry. We went across wow. the pond. Yes. This story was reported by the Irish Times. Uh, the the uh, the mayor of the town was quoted as saying, it's just mind-boggling. Anyone could happen to do something like that. It's like a Hitchcock movie. Hey, the Trouble with Harry, was it? One of his last films where it involved yeah. something with a dead body. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good times going on over there in Ireland, Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah. You ever been to Ireland? I have not. That is like one of my dream vacations, though. I, I remember tell you, that. you telling me about that. So, uh, yeah, you got to got to get on the move on that one. Make that happen, Jeff. Yes. Barry, next story. Man decides to play flute with both hands while driving gets arrested. <laughs> Here's the newspaper. There's a time and place for everything. For most people, the time and place for playing the flute typically is not behind the wheel of a car. For this guy, though, playing the flute with both hands while driving seemed like exactly the right moment. News reports say the unnamed driver in his 40s was driving when the incident occurred. Uh, authorities later said the man was spotted playing the flute while stopped at a red light, continuing to do so with both hands off the wheel while he drove forward after the light had turned green. Oh, he, sure. He was also reportedly playing along to his song on an iPod. Oh, what's the, the song? Do we have any idea? What I the don't song idea. Is? You know, it's got yeah. maybe some Jethro Tull. That's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. So. Anyway, uh, the report says that the cops themselves had been conducting distracted driving enforcement in the area. Boy, Barry, if this does not rise to the level of distracted driving, I'm not sure what does. Uh, this specific infraction being a perfect example of how police choose to direct their attention spans while operating a vehicle. Barry, Florida or not? No. It's, so uh, this would, I mean, if it was Florida, it would be a harmonica. Maybe a guy might have a ukulele, but really? Movie, oh, absolutely. Florida well known for their ukulele players. Oh, oh, it's ukulele all over the state, Jeff. You know that. You could pretend you don't know, but you know that. Harmonica, <laughs> kazoo, possibly, but a flute. Some, some people play the mouth organ. Not, well, <laughs> commonly, while yes. they're driving. Or Different the, parts of Orlando, specifically. Yeah. <laughs> so many so, inside references on this episode. I don't know, Barry, but... Yeah. Uh, I will say uh, you said Florida man or not. What would you say? I'm going to say no. Way too highbrow. This is a it, 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 well. The last story was from Ireland, so I was going to say this is from a uh, upper echelon state. Maybe this is coming from you know Los Angeles, uh, a state with some culture because it's the flute. But again, maybe this is out of the country. I don't know because your last one's from Ireland. I, is, I don't. I don't know that the, our listeners are going to say that Los Angeles, particularly known as a place of culture. Barry, you know, well, but, it, there's a lot. I mean, look, there, I, I, well, yeah, you're right, actually, about that. But there, there's more culture in LA than I believe uh, the majority of the state. Wait a minute, more culture in LA than Orlando? Culture? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, culture. Yeah. In Ontario, Barry. Oh wow, yeah, so Canadians. Yeah, probably Jeff Zinger. Jeff Zinger, John Pantalunes. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Is Burlington first of all? Is Bur- two questions? Is Burlington the original home of Burlington Coat Factory, or maybe that's Burlington, North Carolina? And uh, is a uh, is this some sort of highbrow area in Ontario? Maybe we'll have to reach out to Zinger to get him to answer that question for us, Bear. Yeah, when there's a Burlington, Vermont, and a Burlington, New Jersey. So Burlington's all over the place. I was told there'd be no geography on the exam. <laughs> Best movie ever. Barry, I love a great headline, and I thought this was a great headline when I saw it. Landlord allegedly murdered his tenant after, quote, he caught him masturbating into girlfriend's underwear and then buried body in the yard. That, that, that's just a classic crime headline, Barry. So, Barry, let me get you this story here. A man was arrested Friday after authorities say they found the body of a missing man buried in a shallow grave in the back of his property. While authorities are not releasing the name of the victim, the sheriff's office said Michael A. Pritchard told several witnesses he'd killed the other man after, quote, Catching him masturbating into his girlfriend's underwear. By the way, uh, just for uh, clarification, this would be the uh, not the victim's underwear uh, kind of thing, uh, kinkiness. This would be the guy who is his landlord. The victim apparently was caught, uh, what you say, uh, pounding the salami uh, into uh, Mr. Pritchard's girlfriend's underwear. Uh, just for clarification purposes. Barry, what do you think? Florida man or not? And I was, I was hopeful that you were going to clarify that. I am cause... the king of clarification. Go ahead. So... Just so I'm clear, I want to make sure I'm clear. The guy caught another guy, a tenant though. I guess he had come into the he had come into the landlord. I see what you did there. Go ahead. Ding ding. He had so he was in the landlord's apartment and then was jerking off in the landlord's girlfriend's underwear in the landlord's apartment. He was jerking the gherkin. Let's see how many euphemisms we can come up with. All right. So uh Michael A. Pritchard is the, so that's. Don't be doing a Google search. No, no, it just doesn't sound like a Florida name. So I'm almost in some ways, this, the story definitely could have taken place in Florida. That's for sure. Because masturbation stories generally do take place in Florida, right? But I'm just glad uh, to know that in the upper Midwest, they don't apparently masturbate. (laughs) They don't masturbate there. Yeah. They beat their meat. Oh, see what I did? Good. That's good. That's pretty good. Ah, uh, shit. I'm going to say not Florida. Collier County, Florida wow. on the southwest coast. The story reported by the Naples Daily News. Do we know anyone in the southwest uh, region of yes. Florida? Yes, we do, as a matter Several. of fact. I'm yes. wondering if uh, Ben and Kelly are familiar with this story, not that they, in fact, are themselves uh, masturbators Russ. of any type. So I don't want to cast aspersions there. Yeah, Mark Russ lives there. Jerry Jarrett. Now, he, he might be. I don't know. I don't know. He might, though. You never know. Yeah. Wow. Good story. Got me on that one. You got to love a good headline, don't you, Bear? I love a good headline. Strip club welcomes school children. I'm going to I'm going to give you part of the answer, Barry, and let you know that this is a takes place in the United States. OK, okay. because uh, the paper that uh, told the story was uh, not from the United States, but I, I just thought it was so compelling, just a headline that I thought I'd share it with you. A strip club in the United States has thrown its doors open to school children. <laughs> the Mirage Pure Gold Strip Club has thrown open its doors to the local children, and there's nothing the law can do about it. When the Mirage opened last year, the town had no zoning rules for adult businesses. Then last week, city leaders voted that all dancers must be covered, however scantily. Excellent word of the use uh, of the word scantily, by the way, Barry. 
But the ordinances had nothing about age requirements, so the Mirage now allows teenagers as young as 16. Quote, if the city wants to play these games with us, we'll play, said club owner Dave Benzinger. Barry Rose. It's in the United States. Is it Florida or not? It's the Mirage Strip Club, which I have been to the Mirage Strip well, Club, Jeff. not maybe this so, one. Potentially yeah. the I think that there, I think that there's probably seven. So <sighs> conventional wisdom with this would say this took place in Florida, right? Because Florida to a haven for adult entertainment there. It's on every single block. Let's get Howard um, Baum on the phone because he will know for sure. Howard would be able to tell us. So I'm going to say this took place in Florida. Yeah. Minnesota, my friend. Wow. Of Nicolette, Minnesota. Never. Where's Nicolette, Minnesota? I have no idea, but apparently uh, it's a uh, place that favors uh, children the age of six. Can you imagine a 16-year-old Barry Rose being able to access a strip club? Well, Jeff, between us, a 16-year-old Barry Rose well, was able to. Well, on the fiasabe on that bear, yeah. you know, because uh, we, old, don't, uh, we don't want anyone getting in trouble. But uh, no, no, it's uh, kind of an interesting story. Uh, you know, uh, your uh, 16-year-olds being able to go, hey, they're not fully nude then maybe they're in the uh the the very skimpy bikinis and uh the kids are enjoying that next barry you ready to go let's do it police the headline says police man robbed bank then used the atm outside to make a deposit that's a smart bank robber i'm going to steal your money then i'm going to walk out put it back in the bank in my account okay anyway state police have arrested 44 year old mcroberts williams for Robert, wait, wait, wait. Mick, Mick Roberts, Mick Williams? <laughs> no, Mick Roberts Williams. Oh, okay. Okay. Wait. For robbery following wait. incident that occurred at the Wells Fargo Bank Saturday morning. The incident occurred December 11th at approximately 1120 when troopers were dispatched to Wells Fargo Bank for a report of a bank robbery. Upon arrival, it was determined that a male suspect approached a 25 year old female bank teller behind the counter, handed her a note stating, This is a robbery. The bank teller complied, gave the suspect an undisclosed amount of cash. The suspect fled the bank on foot. Once outside, he made a deposit in the ATM on the exterior of the building. The suspect continued to flee the scene behind uh, the shopping center where he was located by responding troopers, taken into custody without incident. Very Florida man or not. I mean, that I'm going to say yes. This one is a Florida man story. Barry, you're going to be 0 for 2 on this one because oh. this is not too far from Casa de Rose, Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, wow. It's not too far at all, actually. I can't believe, you know, when I first thought about giving you this story, I was like, that son of a bitch, Barry, he probably heard about this story in the local news if he watches the local news. Yeah, so that that's a good one. But no, I don't. But uh, our old friend J.J. Dillon, a resident of Delaware. He probably was on hand to take the suspect into custody, Bear. He probably knows all about this story, too. I think if we called him right now, he would know all about it. Absolutely. You know, Barry, we haven't done music talk lately. And no, it's not a top 10 worst songs, top 10 best songs. Barry, what we have here, I don't even know if this is a top 10. Barry, what is the strangest death in rock? music history what's your go-to for like you're like wow that's kind of a fucked up story what do you got uh i guess i would go bon scott 
even though it's not that fucked up. For years, I would have gone with Mama Cass until I found out that story was completely fictitious. Did not choke on the bologna sandwich, as has been long rumored. So I had heard it was a ham sandwich. We're both duped. Okay. It was a, she did not choke on a sandwich, which would have been bizarre. Bon Scott, though, I believe choking on his own vomit, if I'm correct. I believe he was not the only one. Uh, I'd heard that uh, Hendrix did that also. Hendrix and there we're speaking of drowning. There was a uh, singer. I think she's Irish, Irish or Scottish, Kirsty McCall. Uh, and I believe she actually drowned. I think she was swimming. I want to say Mexico, but I'm not sure where it was. But she was swimming and she wound up drowning. Do you have some strange deaths to share with us? Today, well, it's Jeff? funny you ask that question because, of course, I do. So we'll start with we have some well-known names and we have some not so well-known names, but we'll just go through the list here. Keith Ralph. Now, Keith Ralph was a uh, a guy uh, who played. Uh, he was a singer, harmonica player, played with the Yardbirds, legendary blues band in uh, Britain during the 60s. Uh, he uh, let's see. He also uh, founded a group called Renaissance. Now, Keith Ralph. Died. When he was electrocuted playing guitar, Barry, mm. uh, 1976, he was, uh, let's see, the veteran musician was apparently playing an improperly grounded electric guitar in the basement recording studio and was electric electrocuted. Holy shit. What a fucking way to go, Barry. Yeah, that's that's crazy, too. I wonder. So what, what year was that? Does it say uh, he was killed in 1976? So gotcha. Uh so I wonder whose fault that was. I'm assuming it's the uh, studio's uh, fault. You know, could be. Could be. Well, yeah. it was. It looked like it was a home studio. It wasn't like a, oh. any sort of a major studio. So next, Barry, uh, Sandy Denny. Sandy Denny, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, people would know her from the Led Zeppelin tune, The Battle of Evermore, where she was doing a duet with Robert Plant on that song. Okay. So she apparently had some good vocal chops. She died April 1978. Uh, after falling down the stairs at her home and hitting her head on concrete, oh. her husband had left with their daughter due to the singer's substance abuse problem. Uh, she was discovered unresponsive while staying with a friend. She died days later from what uh, doctors termed mid-brain trauma. Do you remember the song, The Battle of Evermore, Barry? I don't remember that now. Yeah. So I, I actually do. It was a great song. And, you know, it's like one of those songs like, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Stones song, uh, Gimme Shelter. It's got the haunting female vocal. But sure. like if, you know, if you're a, a big Stones fan or a big classic music fan, you're like, oh, yeah, that girl, her name is uh, whatever. Uh, but, you know, it's just like one of those vocalists that don't get enough credit for the work. And uh, she did a great job on Battle of Evermore. Next, Barry, uh, Steve Peregrine, he borrowed his rock and roll stage name from the character in The Hobbit. Uh, he rose to fame. He was in the uh, group T-Rex. You remember sure. T-Rex? Yeah. Bang well, gong, right? Yeah. So yeah. here's a guy. Uh, he died uh, in 1980 from asphyxiation from choking on a cocktail cherry. Yeah, That's a fucking way to go. Yeah. Although he and his girlfriend had ingested both morphine and, oh, Barry, the old hallucinogens. The night before, authorities ruled that neither contributed to his death. Oh, boy. What a way to go. So uh, next, Barry, oh, here's a name that I believe we have discussed in the past. Former lead singer, founding member, and lead guitarist of Chicago, Terry Kath. Yes. Terry Kath, who uh, he, uh, people said his playing on uh, 25 or 624 uh, was amazing. Uh, he sang lead on such Chicago tracks as Make Me Smile and Color My World. Barry asked me why Color My World would uh, resonate with me particularly. 
going to ask you, but I'm also going to guess, Jeff. I'm going to say Color My World was a song that you and the current Mrs. Bowdrin danced to at your wedding. Check. You are absolutely right, sir. And nice. why did we dance to that song? Uh, that I can't answer, Jeff. Well, it's a great, <laughs> first of all, it's a great song. All right. Okay? And if you don't know it, uh, fucking do your Google, your YouTube, whatever, Chicago, Color My World. We danced that song because of the uh, sainted and beloved Mrs. Bowdrin said, I don't care what song you pick, but make it short. Uh, she <laughs> didn't want to be out there, the object of attention, everyone looking at her. Uh, sure. And then, of course, uh, famously, uh, Mr. Bowdrin, because I'm an emotional guy, eh, might have been observed singing the words to his wife as we danced. And the wow. DJ goes, hey, look at Jeff out there. Yeah, he's singing to his wife. Isn't that nice? Everyone give it up. And they get a little round of applause. Anyway, let's get back to the death of Terry Kath after talking about that nonsense. Kath also had a history of drug and alcohol problems. Uh, he was, quote, uh, unquote, fooling around with guns on January 23rd, 1978. It's never a good idea to, quote, fool around with a gun, especially when you may or may not be minorly or majorly impaired. Uh, he picked up an unloaded 38 revolver, put it to his head, pulling the trigger. He then did the same with a 9-millimeter semi-automatic, which unfortunately was loaded, and he died instantly. Uh, great musician, Terry Kath. Yeah, and you know what? Chicago, too, is you know what Chicago became. Ugh. Yeah, two different... How many and so how many Peter Cetera, thank you very much. But completely different than what they were. This was a completely different yeah. band. And there are a few that are out there that when they change a lead singer or decide to go a different route, their music is completely uh Chicago was this blues, jazzy, you know, it just there were they had some heart, they had some soul. And yeah, when Peter Cetera came in, it was all love ballads and you know, glory of love. Uh, uh, pop stuff, too. yeah, yeah, pop shit. Uh, but you know, I will say that uh, I can remember a while back putting a, a, a talking about best guitarist of all time. I think we we did this on the show, and when we put the list up in our group. We had a few people say, "Hey, uh, no one talked about Terry Kath. He was an amazing guitarist." So, so eh, sorry, a sad death. Props to Terry Kath. So uh, next, Barry, uh, let's talk about former ELO cellist. Mike Edwards, get a load of this. Mike, uh, let's see, uh, he became, I don't even know how to pronounce this very, a Sanison of the philosophical disciple of Oshu, changed his name to Diva Pramada, I have no, which means divine contentment. Uh, I was not a part of that uh, group, I'm sorry to say. However, he was at his home in Devon, England, which is near Wareberry? Near Devon Dudley. Is no, it near, it's no. near Wales. Wales. Uh, anyway, when a bale of hay weighing 1,300 pounds Oof. rolled down a hillside and collided with his van. That is one big fucking bale of hay, Barry. Yeah, how big is the fucking cow that, uh, <laughs> or whatever I, they're know, feeding? Holy cow, yeah. Holy shit. So that's, a, that's an interesting way to die. Sometimes I think about it, too, and I, I often, uh, I'll tell people when they ask, and of course no one ever asked Jeff, but I will tell people when they ask, and they'll say, how do you want to die? And what do you, and I'm like, you know, the last thing, I don't want to wind up in a nursing home. I don't want to wind up, you know, exactly. I don't want to wear adult diapers. I don't want my quality of life to be so drastically reduced that, you know, I'm just waiting to die, which is a very sad fact, you know, for a lot of people. But I think having a gigantic bale of hay dropped on you, that's almost like a roadrunner way to die, right? Yeah, that's... uh uh, yeah, not 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 a good way to go. I, I you know I, I was watching an episode of uh, Narcos Mexico, which I've been pushing lately. 
And there is a scene, uh, season two, I think it's episode five, where uh, uh, the uh, the cartel member is uh, angry at uh, some other guys, uh, wants to teach him a lesson. Barry, he gets, I'm not even joking, a steamroller oh. at the construction site, puts ties the guys up, and he rolls over them with the steamroller. That's got to be a hell of a way to go also. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. You've been pushing this show with that last statement, Jeff. You just fucking sold me on this show. Thank now you. Now I got to go watch this. Yes. Now, also uh, from the uh, blues rock band Stone the Crows, Les Harvey, uh, much like the first guy we talked about, electrocuted during a show. He was tuning up. Wow. And, oh, my God, Barry, I'm not even kidding. Swansea, Wales. Seriously? Uh, I'm sorry. You know. They were managed by legendary manager Peter Grant from what group, Barry? Peter Grant Led Zeppelin. Eh, thank you very kindly. Yeah. Howard Baum just got an erection just because of that mention. Uh, let's see. Wait, Stone Crows say Howard not... Baum got an erection, Jeff. Was that with medication or with Well, that? maybe that's something we got to ask H-Bomb. I don't know. So he was in the process of climbing the rock ladder when this tragic death, reportedly caused by, a, again, a poorly grounded microphone, ended his life. And the group broke up a short time later. Wow, two electrocutions, Barry. That's not good. Okay, now we're getting into some names that people recognize. Brian Jones, founding member of the Rolling Stone. Now, Barry, here's a death that's always had a bit of mystery around it. Do you get my a reference there? Oh, yeah. So a lot of people wondering if uh, Brian Jones died. Uh, this report uh, says he died of, quote, death by misadventure or... Was there a more sinister thing behind the death of Brian Jones? Founding member who was being pushed out, I will just say, by two guys who were uh, mainly associated with the Rolling Stones. I'm not going to mention any names, allegedly, of course. I wouldn't want to wow. do that. But I have heard stories, and you know, it could just be internet rumors, speculation, that uh, somehow they were involved because they wanted this guy out of the way so they could take the group, let's just say, in a different direction. You mentioned that before, Barry. Brian Jones... Let's just say uh, he was, uh, let's see, had a very bad drug problem. That was one thing that was known about Brian Jones. Uh, you know, he, uh, his bandmates were more. Imagine your drug problem being so bad that it alienates Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty fucking bad drug problem, okay? Yes. Uh, let's see. He was discovered dead in his swimming pool. Coroners ruled his death was an accident, noting his alcohol and substance abuse played a role. They called it death by misadventures. Theories and rumors have swirled for decades that Jones was murdered, though despite a new investigation in 2008, nothing has ever been proven. Ooh, cue the, cue the spooky music there. Did you like early stones? Yeah, that, that, these are the stones I liked best was the early stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't mess with me because you're playing with fire. Great song. Yeah, yeah. great song. Yeah, so uh, let's see. Uh, next we got, uh, oh, you remember the band Orleans? Yeah, Orleans. They Dance with me, still the one. Well, Wells You're still the one. Yes, yes. Yeah. please don't sing anymore. Wells yeah. Kelly, best known to rock music fans as the drummer for the group Orleans. Uh, let's just see. Uh, he also played uh, with Meatloaf's band. Uh, he also played with Clarence Clemens. He died in London in 1984 while on tour with Meatloaf after a night of partying with friends. Collapsed and died on the front step of a London a London apartment. Apparently, from asphyxiation, he was reportedly last seen drinking with Huey Lewis. This guy had some good company he was running with, Bear. Yeah, Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis, who seemed super safe to me. Uh, yeah. uh, so very familiar with Orleans. They were a 70s pop band, kind of light, kind of fun. 
Yeah, they're, they're very yeah. big on the uh, the yacht rock stations. Let's put that's that. where I yeah, and and for a lot of that shit I hate, but yeah, I actually I liked Orleans. I never knew who's. If you would have asked me who sang "You're Still the One," I would have had no idea. Jeff, quick question too: As we go through, will we be covering the deaths of any of the drummers of Spinal Tap? Oh, that may be a separate episode because that's a All lot right. of drummers that died uh, again. Mysterious circumstances, very yep. very next. You know, if you want to come up with a great name for a guy who's in rock music, Barry, Randy California. Wow. Randy California was the guitarist and, quote, centerpiece of the rock group Spirit. Now, what do you know when I mention the name Spirit, the rock group? What do you know? I don't know anything about Spirit. So this group was in the news within the last few years because there are people that claim that Led Zeppelin Second mention of Howard Baum, his favorite group of all time, may have ripped off the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven from a song by Spirit called Taurus. So, uh, I'm sorry, not the lyrics, the opening chords, which they said. Those are. Anyway, uh, the guitarist who also played with uh, musicians like Jimi Hendrix and Walter Becker from Steely Dan. Sure. Uh, apparently, he drowned in the ocean off Molokai, Hawaii. Oh, very sad. Apparently, his son... Quinn, who was 12 years old, had gotten caught in a riptide. Uh, the uh, the guitarist went out to save his son, pushed his son to safety, but could not save himself. That's a very horrible death. That's a horrible death. I ever tell you my Walter Becker story? Oh, please. Oh, it's very exciting. So, Jeff, this is when I was working in a restaurant in New York City. Server or manager? I was manager. Oh, and okay. Walter Becker, so I, I didn't know who he was, but this guy would come into the restaurant seven nights a week. I was working five of those nights and he would come in with his wife. Wife appeared to be 20 years younger. Blonde. Imagine that. Yeah. But she wasn't like a trophy wife though. Right? Like it wasn't, you know, she, but she was younger and he would come in overweight, had, uh, he was balding, but still had long hair, which looked odd. Wore he looked like an owl is what Walter Becker looked like. He wore glasses, had some facial hair, Always wore jeans, a T-shirt, a jean jacket, sneakers, just not a guy that looked like he had two nickels. And he was coming in this restaurant all the time. I had no idea who he was. And I would say hello, but I didn't know who he was. So I'm watching PBS one night and they're showing Steely Dan. And I look and I'm like, motherfucker, that's the guy that comes in our restaurant every night. Call me Deacon Blues. Very good. Perfect timing on that one. And uh he, uh, I watched this and I'm stunned. I'm, you know, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And, uh, as it turns out, I see him the next time I go back to the restaurant. So it's within a couple of days and I go up and I was like, Mr. Becker, I, I just want to say, I saw you on, you know, and I'm like an idiot. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm apologizing for the fact that I didn't recognize him previously, but now I do. So now I'm going to make a complete fool out of myself. So I don't know what I'm saying to him, but I know he's, what I remember uh, is him just staring at me as I'm talking and giving me the look like, can you Who the go fuck away? is this guy? Can you go away so we can eat? That was the look that I got. He has since passed on, but he must have come in the restaurant and I must have interacted in some form for a year or two with him until I finally fucking realized who he was. Very, very low key guy. And uh, Odd to me that Steely Dan continues without Walter Becker. It's just Donald Fagan now. Very I actually, odd. I actually but. saw Donald Fagan in concert uh, before I left South Florida with Michael McDonald and Boz Skaggs. 
Wow. It was, that was a, it was a pretty fucking good show. I got to say that. So next Barry. Oh, we discussed her earlier. It's Cass Elliott quote choked on a ham sandwich. Question mark. Mama Cass Elliott shot to fame as one of the mamas and papas, perhaps most famously singing lead on dream, a little dream of me before embarking on a solo career. Upon the group's demise, oh boy, you talk about a group that had a minor drug problem there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like John Phillips there. Minor. So she died in her sleep uh, in July of 1974 while in London for a two-week engagement at the Palladium. A persistent rumor holds that the famously obese singer died from choking on a ham sandwich. Props to you. You had the rumor right. But the cause of her death was actually a heart attack brought on by a uh, myocardial degeneration uh, due to obesity. Though the ham probably didn't help. Uh, that's what the article says. So, uh, oh, that, yeah, mom, that's, that's, yeah, no, that's not rude. my bad joke. That's their bad joke. <laughs> yes. so, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, did you have a favorite Mamas and Papas song, Barry? I did. California Dreaming. That was my go-to choice, yeah. Yeah, but they, they had another song, and I know that Michael Herrick is out there right now. So there is a documentary which is on, I think it's either Netflix or Prime, and it's, I believe it's called Echo in the Canyon. Oh, yeah. It, that, yes, that, that blew me away. But there's yeah. Michelle Phillips is in this a lot because a lot of this music came out of this area uh, right outside of Los Angeles in the canyon. And there's the one song that Michelle Phillips sings. I, and I, it's about you can't you can't contain her. She's going to love who she wants and she's going to do go where you want to go. I do got what you. you fucking great song and the woman that sang it her name is jade obviously the remake her name is jade something she had been in a band i just developed this huge crush on her when i saw her in the show but mama's and the papas too like my mother i remember as a kid my mother uh had a bunch of old albums and she had a turntable and she would put music on all the time and mama's and the papas one of those bands that always came on, underrated as well, underappreciated. I liked uh, also, uh, my sister was a big fan of theirs when I was growing up, uh, when she was in high school. And uh, I remember their song, uh, I Saw Her Again. That was a, you know, yeah. I saw her again last night. Good song, a good group, a lot of good hits. Again, the uh, drug problems and uh, uh, wow, John Phillips, uh, right up there with Brian Jones on the uh, heavy drug usage scale. Uh, very fan of the New York Dolls. Oh, absolutely. A New York fan. Dolls guitarist Johnny Thunders passed away sure. April 1991. Rumors surrounding his state, it was ruled that he died of drug-related causes. Go figure. He had been staying at St. Peter House in New Orleans, and by the time he was discovered, rigor mortars had set in. Uh, the apartment had been ransacked. All his possessions were missing. Uh, the, musician, the musician's body was discovered underneath a coffee table in an unnatural state Eyewitnesses reported that it was bent, quote, like a pretzel wow. and stated that when the body bag came out of the apartment, it was in a U shape. Barry, that's not a good way to go. It did, however, state that uh, the level of drugs in the system was not fatal, but it also revealed he was suffering from advanced leukemia. Oh, it's a, uh, a U shape does not sound natural. Yes, uh, it's not, not a good way to go. I don't know if it's as bad as getting a bale of hay rolled over you, but uh, yeah, being found shaped like a pretzel is probably not a good thing. Uh, oh, Barry, he's one pretty well-known former NXS uh, lead singer, Michael Hutchins. Sure. Uh, Autoerotic asphyxiation, Barry. Uh, he uh, apparently, let's see, uh, reports he was extremely down because he was separated from his daughter 
the then 16-month-old, get a load of this name, Barry. Tiger Lily, baby. Tiger uh, Lily. That, he, uh, no, that's not the full name. Oh. Heavenly Hirani Tiger Lily Hutchins. Oh, okay. Yeah, so her, her, her proper name is Heavenly. Thank you very kindly. Yeah. But uh, he, uh, he was found dead in a hotel room in Sydney, Australia. A coroner ruled that Hutchins had committed suicide while under the influence of drugs and alcohol, dispelling the widespread rumor that his death was accidental and caused by auto-erratic asphyxiation. Two years later, Tiger's mom, Paula Yates, suggested during uh, a 60 Minutes interview that autoerotic asphyxiation, oh, I'm sorry, autoeroticism did cause his death, and many family members and fans to this day consider it accidental. Hey, a fan of NXS, were you? Huge fan of NXS. I love, yeah, I love that. That is, you know, we were going to do a, uh, a top 10 list at one point. We never got around to it. Bands who, maybe you don't have all their albums or all their, uh, you know, all their music and stuff, but like if you're driving in the car, listening to the radio and one of their songs comes on, you're definitely going to stay and listen to it. And NXS is definitely one of those bands. What's your favorite NXS song? Uh, like the devil inside. Um, dun, 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 yep. Suicide dun, Blonde. I love Suicide Blonde. Yeah. Yeah. Who's that make you think of? I think of Suicide Blonde, I'll, but this is a weird, it's a wrestling thing. I think of uh, the Blonde Bombers who were Wayne Ferris and Larry Latham. Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking Chris Candido. Didn't he use that as his, uh, I think he did. The first yeah. time I ever heard that term, I was at a WFIA convention in 1981 and a lady from Texas named Eloise Mascoro was asking a question of Wayne Ferris and Larry Latham. And she called them suicide blondes. And then I had to, somebody, <laughs> An adult had to explain exactly why <laughs> to me. <laughs> a little embarrassing, but I had no idea what it meant. But great song. That's interesting, too, because when the story was reported, it was reported that it was autoerotic asphyxiation, much like David Carradine. Sure, yeah. A few years later, Paula Yates, as a side note, Paula Yates had been married for years to Bob Geldof from the Boomtown Rats and uh, all these charitable things that he did, like We Are the World and all that. But they had, uh, I believe she was heavily into drugs, and I believe she has since passed on from drugs as well. Yeah, I was just trying, uh, when we were sitting there talking about it, I was trying to think, oh, uh, the U2 song, Stuck in a Moment, was written about Michael Hutchins. Oh. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. Yeah, so. Uh, Next, Barry, Sid Vicious, were you a fan of the Sex Pistols? I'm such a fan of, the, yes, I was a fan and still am a fan of the Sex Pistols. And if I'm correct, Sid Vicious is buried, I believe, uh, 25 minutes from where I currently live. Mm. So yeah. are you a bigger fan than Mr. Uh, Underground Music, John McAdam? No, no one's a bigger well, fan. Well, that's good. You know, no one has more girlfriends. Sid exactly. Vicious, uh, it was speculated, was overdosed by his own mom. Quality wow. parenting there, Mrs. Vicious, or whatever her name is. Anyway, he was due to stand trial for murdering his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen. Did you ever see that movie, by the way, with them? I said in Nancy, great yeah. movie. Yeah, so it was Gary Oldman, right? Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, the rocker's mother, a registered drug addict herself, had some heroin delivered to the apartment. Vicious had been clean while he was behind bars, overdosed February 2nd, 1979. New girlfriend reportedly left their bed when the rocker asked for heroin and told his mother, what had happened before her own death, the, the singer's mother admitted in an interview to administering the fatal dose, but her confession was later brought into question. 
Wow. Wow. I didn't know your own mom contributing to your drug addiction. Ah, That's a good parenting there. So, uh, next Barry beach boys, Dennis Wilson, drunk driving, drunk driving kills plenty of people every year, but Dennis Wilson may be the only drunk. I'm sorry. I apologize. It was not drunk driving. Drunk diving is what killed Dennis Wilson. Uh, he may be the only drunk diving fatality we've ever heard of the beach boys drummers. Fast, volatile life was dotted with five marriages to four different women. Oh, so five marriages, four different women. Okay, married someone twice. Gotcha. As well as typical excesses of rock stardom, including a serious addiction to the old alcohol. Mm. But he liked to relax and get away from it all on his yacht at Marina del Rey. Wilson drowned on December 28, 1983, while diving from his boat after drinking all day. He reportedly was trying to recover some items. He had thrown overboard three years earlier. He was 39 years old and another odd turn of events. His drum chair was taken over on a part-time basis by who? John Stamos. Correctamundo. Very drunk diving. So as as somebody who is a registered paddy diver, uh, I am a a registered scuba diver. You cannot go. I mean, you're never supposed to go out if you're under the influence of anything. But I would think alcohol, like in my own head, it would be like driving, like, you know, the times that I've been drunk. I don't know how you could actually drive a car. I don't know how you could go scuba diving. I know that it is uh, most companies or all companies would never take somebody out scuba diving if they're under the influence of something. Again, this is a different situation uh, because he had his own boat and he was trying to recover items three years earlier that he had thrown overboard. And I apologize for chuckling, but I mean, my God, three years. I, I, you know, I sit there and try to imagine uh, how disorienting it can be to uh, scuba dive. uh, You know, when you get, you know, they say when you get to a certain place, you kind of lose your equilibrium. And being drunk or being high or stoned or fucking uh, out of your mind on drugs. I, I can't even imagine how horrifying that must be. And if he did die because he became disorientated, I'm just, you know, guessing here. I can't imagine how scary that must have been. Oh, my God. So, very odd, strange rock music and music deaths. Interesting, too. I I think the most bizarre, obviously, is the giant bale of hay. I think that that, was, uh, that might take the cake. That that was really bizarre. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. What was the weight on that bale of hay again? I believe it was 1,300 pounds. Jesus. What's a ton? A ton is 1,200 pounds? Uh, I was told there'd be no math. Okay. Is it two, is it two, 2000 or t- Lou would know 1200 or 2000? Lou Lou's smart. Uh, we're not. Lou would know 2000. So it wasn't quite a ton, but yeah. it was enough to kill the guy from ELO. Barry, another fine podcast going a little bit Florida man, going a little bit match of the week, a uh, rock star, bizarre deaths. Been a fun filled episode, don't you think, my friend? It's you know you've got you've got one I think one of the best uh, professional wrestling matches to come out of Japan for the year 1999. You have rock stars getting crushed by bales of hay. Uh, that was a strange one. There's no strange. question about that. You got a guy playing the flute in it, you know, in Canada. I mean, where else do you get this kind of stuff? And yeah. just to clarify again, we're talking the musical instrument. He was not playing oh, his right. flute. He that's was right. playing a flute. He got to got to quantify true. that there. That's true. That's true. So that being said, I will remind all of you that uh, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. So for our producer, the sweet man, Lou Kippelman, 
still reeling after Jimmy G's interception costing the Niners a trip to the Super Bowl. Jimmy G is out in Frisco. They're going with Trey Lance. Uh, no pants for Trey Lance next year. I'm predicting it here. And my co-host, Barry Rose from Plymouth Meeting PA. Sometimes they call me the booker. I am Jeff Bowdrin. Take us home, Luke.